Welcome back, Giants fans. First off, appreciate all you who joined the stream. It was a good time as always, but um, the game sucked, as we know. It was kind of over in the halfway through the third quarter, but I appreciate those who joined, and we definitely had a little therapy session towards the end. So um, where do we start with this game? There's a lot to talk about. So I, I talked about everything after the stream was over, but I kind of just want to go over everything in this game here. I guess let's start with the coaching staff. Why not? I mean, I said it towards the end of the preview video I did for this game was that the Giants coaches had 15 days, a.k.a. half a month, to prepare for this game. And while I did not expect to win this game, I did expect the Giants to at least cover that 11-point spread and keep it close and have this game go down to the fourth quarter. But the game ended with Blaine Gabbert on the field and the Giants not being able to put up any offense in garbage time versus a Buccaneers defense that probably wasn't trying at the end. That's how pathetic things were for the Giants in this game. And look, listen, it's, it's no shock they lost the game. I get that part of it. They're 3-7 and seven now. The season's pretty much over before Thanksgiving. I'm personally giving it one more week to really, you know, before I quit because, you know, I still think this NFC is, it's kind of open and I'm a fool. There's, you know, there's a easier schedule in the second half. I'm trying to talk myself into it right now, but still, I'm giving it one more week and I will say, I said this before, there's been three times the Giants have pushed me to the limit this year. So it was the Saints game week four. I said to myself, if they lose that game, I'm done. I said to myself, if they lose to Carolina, I'm done. They won that game. I said to myself, if they lose to the Raiders, I'm done. Well, they won that game. So they've, they're three for three so far and keeping me entertained for this season. So we'll see what they do next week against the Eagles. And I will say, if they lose against the Eagles in week number 12, then for me, it's over. I know the season's over and the playoffs are not a uh, realistic hope. So anyway... For this game, the coaching staff had 15 days to prepare, and I know it's Tom Brady, the Buccaneers, and coming off two losses. Tom Brady apparently hasn't lost three straight games since 2002. I don't know if that was true or not, but you know Tom Brady's not losing three games in a row very often. We know that. The Giants, though, they do it all the time. Anyway, it was going to be a tough game, but we'll start with Patrick Graham, because Patrick Graham was just, you know, in his bag, as the kids say, the last three games. And they were great against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense. They were great against Derek Carr and the Raiders offense. And we know the, you know, the Panthers offense kind of sucks. But still, they did a really good job against those three teams. Then they come out in this game. And aside from getting that lucky interception, yes, it was lucky. The interception that was off the chest of Mike Evans and in the hands of Dory Jackson that resulted in the Giants getting like their only touchdown in this game. Um, outside of that one play, the Giants did nothing on defense that was good. Like Tom Brady, there was a graphic put up at one point that Tom Brady had like X amount of dropbacks, like 36 dropbacks, and he was hit one time, knocked down zero times, and sacked zero times. The Giants did not get a sack in this game until the very end of the fourth quarter when Raymond Johnson sacked Blaine Gabbert. Yay. Awesome. Yeah. The pass rush was invisible the entire day. Now, I know the Giants don't have a Khalil Mack, a Chandler Jones, a TJ Watt. I get all that. But we're paying Leonard Williams a ton of money. You guys know that. Aziz Ojolari was, you know, having a really good rookie season. Quincy Roche actually wasn't that bad this game. He definitely got some pressures in there, so I can't really throw him under the bus. But it's just there was no pressure, really. It was very minimal pressure. And anytime they did get pressure on Tom Brady, Tom Brady is such a smart quarterback 
that he just knows how to get out of bad situations. Tom Brady is not very fast. He's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he understands how to maneuver a pocket so perfectly that every time the Giants did get pressure, he was like, oh, let me just go under here and I'll just, you know, go outside the pocket. Let me just go right up the middle. He had that play where he ran for a first down and high step Tay Crowder. Like, Tom Brady looked like he was 25 today. And, you know, I know the Bucks' offensive line is good and our pass rush stinks. I get all that. But... Even in the secondary, like, what was Patrick Graham's strategy to have, like, you know, a cover four, cover three the entire game, don't let them beat you over the top, and let's let Tom Brady, who's built an entire career on dump-offs, beat you with dump-offs the entire game. Whether it was screen passes to Chris Godwin, screen passes to Leonard Fournette, um, you know, he'd occasionally have a deep pass to Rob Gronkowski, uh, Mike Evans was catching balls over the middle. I mean, just simple stuff, and... Just the Giants' defense had no creativity to it. Like, Tom Brady was one step ahead the entire game. The Buccaneers' play callers, Leftwich and Bruce Arians, they were one step ahead the entire game. Like, there was no creativity. And I know the Giants' pass rush stinks. I get that. Like, that that's part of it. They don't have the personnel to have a great pass rushing team. They just don't. You could thank Dave Gettleman and, and Joe Judge if he's part of the roster decisions as well. So, they're both part of it. But... The game plan from Patrick Graham was nothing impressive, I have to say. There was nothing I saw that was like, oh, that was a good job by Graham. The one time I complimented him was this. There was a play where it was when the Buccaneers got their 10th point, went from 7 to 10 points. They had a third down and goal, I believe, and Patrick Graham dropped like eight guys in coverage, and you know Tom Brady had nowhere to go with the ball. I was like, okay, good job by Patrick Graham right there, made it tough on him. But after that, and that was early in the first quarter, I feel like, after that, there was nothing. There was no compliments to be made for Patrick Graham or any coach really on this coaching staff in general. And we'll get to Jason Garrett and Joe Judge, believe me. But for Patrick Graham, the one coach I actually trusted to have a decent game plan today, he didn't do much either. As for Jason Garrett, I mean, what needs to be said at this point? I mean... Daniel Jones went downfield. It felt like one time today. It was a it was a Kyle Rudolph play. It's funny enough. Kyle Rudolph was the one guy getting the deep target today. Um, it was a play where there was kind of just like an open, a busted coverage kind of, and Rudolph ran a wheel route down the left sideline. They found Rudolph. There was no yards after catch, obviously, but Rudolph had like a 20-yard game. But outside of that, can we really think of a time Daniel Jones had a deep ball attempt in this game? Like, I know Kadarius Toney had one, but Kadarius Toney's a freaking wide receiver. <laughs> like, you know, there was a time early in this game where Daniel Jones missed Kenny Galladay for what could have been a touchdown. I get all that. That's not Jason Garrett's fault. But what did Jason Garrett do in this game to really make things creative? Like, he had maybe two plays. There was one reverse to John Ross that worked for, like, 15 yards. There was one crazy, like, house formation that they ran out of that was pretty cool. That was different, but, like... Jason Garrett did nothing different outside of those few plays. Like, Jason Garrett, once again, half a month to prepare, came into this game and said, all right, I'll sprinkle in a few plays here just to make people happy. But outside of that, we're sticking to what we know best. And they don't know anything best. The only thing they know best is how to not have a good offense. And as I said coming into this game, the Buccaneers averaged averaged 31 points per game on offense. Jason Garrett's been here for a year and a half. And has never scored over 30 points on offense in one game. The Buccaneers average that, right? Put all their games together, they average that. Jason Garrett can't do it one time. It's embarrassing. It really is. I still can't fathom how that man's employed. I really don't get it. 
Imagine you at your job, right? Imagine you at your job and you perform as bad as Jason Garrett. There is no chance anyone watching this video, unless you own your own company, there is no chance anyone um, watching this video, if you perform at your job as badly as Jason Garrett does at his, there's no way to be employed right now. I'm sorry. It's embarrassing. And I do hope I wake up tomorrow and see Jason Garrett's fired. And I hope Freddie Kitchens actually gets to take over because Freddie Kitchens actually probably would be a better play caller. We saw it last year when he was calling plays for Colt McCoy against the Browns. He was a better offensive coordinator than Jason Garrett was. So I'm not saying that Freddie Kitchens would solve everything. He definitely would not. This offense has a lot of problems, but it would help because Jason Garrett is the worst and I can't stand him. As for Joe Judge, um, more ridiculous penalties. Will Hernandez had a couple. Darius Slayton had one. Um, I'm trying to think what the defense... I, I feel like the defense didn't have that many penalties. I, I, I could look it up real quick for you guys. I mean, the Giants only had four penalties for 30 yards, which feels like a lot less than it really did feel like. But, you know, Will Hernandez had two, and one of them pushed it back from a third and nine to a third and 14, and it was just... It came at the worst time. Um, I, just, I, I guess they were just bad timing penalties because it felt like a lot worse, but... Either way, you know, Joe Judge preaches that this team's going to be ready to play and we're going to put out a product that the New York and New Jersey area will be proud of. And I don't know about you guys. I'm from New Jersey. I'm sure a lot of you are from New Jersey and New York. Are you guys proud about what you see right now? Because I'm not. Uh, it's it's disgusting. It's embarrassing to watch this. It really is. Like, it's it's going to be embarrassing to put on a Giants hoodie this week and be like, oh, yeah, I'm a Giants fan. No, like, it's, it's going to be bad. Like, I, I, I can't really get behind what Joe Judge is selling us right now. I just can't. I know this is not the most talented team in the world. Uh, your quarterback is very questionable. We'll get to him in a second. But just there's so much wrong with even the coaching. It's not just the players. The players aren't that good. All right, we get it. The Giants on paper, I guess, aren't the worst team in the league, but they're not that great either. But the coaching just mixed with that makes it so much worse. And as I sit here today, I still think Joe Judge is back next year, but it's making it like a tougher decision because of how bad he's looked in recent weeks. I mean, not recent weeks, the entire season. I mean, the entire season he's been bad. Um, and then Joe Judge goes to the press conference and goes, I'm not a guy to make excuses. Well, aren't you the same guy that was blaming your headset for why you had terrible timeout usage in Kansas City? Wasn't that you? Like, you're saying you're not making excuses, but here you are, like, you know, blaming the headset two weeks ago. So I don't know. So anyway, Joe Judge is not, I don't know, he's not doing it for me right now. None of the coaches are. Patrick Graham was on a nice little three-game streak of, of looking good. But, yeah, that kind of ended real quick. As for the quarterback, Mr. Daniel Jones, who was 23 of 38, 167, one touchdown to Andrew Thomas, by the way. Awesome play. Love that play. Got me excited. That was like the one highlight of the night, that and the Dora Jackson interception. Um, and two interceptions. Now let's talk about Daniel Jones, and I'm going to be honest, I really don't care. I put out a take on Twitter before that someone called me an R-word for saying it. <laughs> you can think about that word all you want. I'm not going to say what it is. I don't like saying that word, but um, I really don't care. I, I really don't care. I've, I've always tried to be fair to this kid. I really have. Um, the only time I really went off on him was last year's game against Tampa. I said he wasn't a franchise quarterback. I kind of regretted saying it because it was very premature. It was in the moment. I shouldn't have said it. But now, after watching another year of Daniel Jones, I pretty much stand in the same place I was last year. This guy's not it for me. He, I, maybe he is. You know, one day I hope to sit on here and make fun of myself and say, ah, I was real stupid for making fun of that Daniel Jones guy. He's a real good player. But how the hell can I say that right now with a straight face? Honestly, what does Daniel Jones do that really excites you guys? Yeah, he runs fast in a straight line. 
Great. I love that. Yeah. He passes the ball down the field pretty well sometimes. Oh, wait, we pass the ball downfield one time per game. Awesome. It's just it's embarrassing. And it's not his fault. It's not it's not all his fault. I don't make this out to be all Daniel Jones's fault. His offensive line's putrid, all right? PFF has him as the third worst pass blocking offensive line in football. You know, Mr. Dave Gettleman, the offensive line guru, not only took this guy at six overall, but gave him no team around him to succeed, all right? We spent money on the weapons, but they have no offensive line. And we've been saying this since July and August. How is this Giants offense going to produce with no offensive line? Well, you know, the young guys will get better. Definitely. Outside of Andrew Thomas, there's not one guy on this offensive line worth giving a damn about. There's really not. There's really not. There's not one guy that I can guarantee is here next year outside of that. Maybe Matt Pear because he's a developmental project. But outside of that, is Matt Scurry here next year? Probably not. Billy Price? Probably not. Um, who else we got? Will Hernandez. Contract year? Maybe not. Nate Solder? Please no. God, I can't stand Nate Solder either. I have no idea how that man is a starting right tackle in the NFL. There was that one play with JPP where JPP just went like in and out, and he literally got Nate Solder on the ground. <laughs> like, it was embarrassing. I don't understand how Nate Solder starts in the NFL, and it's for my favorite team, which makes it even worse. Like, if he started for the Eagles or something, I would have laughed my ass off. I'd be like, all right, that's, that's hilarious. Like, you're starting Nate Solder. But, like, no, this is our team, and he starts at right tackle. Like, Matt Parrott can't be that bad. All right, so... Back to Daniel Jones. Um, where was I at with this? So you can blame his surroundings all you want. You can blame the offensive line. Well, I went over that video a couple weeks ago, a weeks ago about how Derek Carr has a similarly similarly bad offensive line, but still puts up numbers. I went over that video how Kirk Cousins has a worse ranked pass blocking offensive line and still puts up much better numbers. So what's Daniel Jones's excuse? I understand that. The Vikings have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook. I get all that. I understand that Derek Carr had Henry Ruggs. He has Darren Waller. He has Hunter Renfro. Great. But the the Giants still have good weapons on this team. Now, were they healthy all year? No, they weren't. I get that. But even when you had Galladay, Galladay had one catch today, I believe, right? I'll look at the box score real quick. I think he had one catch in this game for 12 yards. Yeah, Galladay had one catch for 12 yards. Like, that's embarrassing. Like, how do you sign this guy for all that money and not even throw the ball at him? He had, I think, two targets because one of them was a pass interference on a slant. Jamel Dean kind of wrapped up his left hand and left arm, and they called a penalty. Okay, two targets. But, like, I don't get how Kenny Galladay is just not being used in this offense. It's not like the Giants' offense is just clicking right now and things are great. They're putting up, you know, points in the high 20s, low 30s, and everything's great. Your offense is one of the worst, if not the worst, in football, and you're still not using Kenny Galladay. And we figured in the Raiders game, okay, he didn't play all the snaps. He was still coming off the injury. Okay, they're going to work him back slowly. But this game, he had to buy to get healthy. They come back, set up the game plan, and Kenny Galladay finishes the day with one catch for 12 yards. That was it. One catch for 12 yards. You spent all that money for one catch and 12 yards. Good for you. Kadarius Toney did have 12 targets. I like that. But seven catches for 40 yards. 5.7 yards per reception. So as for Daniel Jones, you have the receivers, right? We're going to see how the final seven games go. I'm not here. I'm not going to sit here and say Daniel Jones is the worst ever. He's not going to be here. I'm not going to say all that. But he still has seven games to prove he's the guy. But right now, as I sit here today, after this Buccaneers Monday night game, I ain't feeling good about it. That's for damn sure.
All right, and I felt the same way about the Buccaneers game last year because if you remember last year, the rest of the Giants played very well in that game, and Daniel Jones was the one holding them back. And he was not the one holding them back tonight because every other Giants player sucked tonight outside of like maybe a couple guys. I mean, Andrew Thomas was great until he let up a sack at the end, but still, um, most guys were terrible in this game, even the defense. We'll get to them later. But for Daniel Jones, I'm just tired of the excuses. I hear it every single year. You know, it's been three years now offensive line this offensive line that they can't block you know that guy stinks that guy's injured blah 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 well how come these other quarterbacks get it done how come Aaron Rodgers goes into Arizona one of the best teams in football without Devontae Adams without his wide receiver two and Alan Lazard without his left tackle and David Bakhtiari and beats the Cardinals how does he do that right I get Aaron Rodgers is good but you know these quarterbacks find a way once again, how does Kirk Cousins with a similar offensive line put up big numbers? How does Derek Carr do it, right? Like, there's there's situations where you're like, huh, well, that quarterback's doing it. Why can't he do it? I don't think enough of us look at the Daniel Jones situation to compare it to the rest of the league. Like, there's quarterbacks out there that have been and will be in similarly bad situations. And sometimes they got to live with it. I understand the Giants did not put a good team around this kid. It's not his fault. I get all that. I've, I've always said that. It's not his fault. Daniel Jones was not, you know, it's not his fault he's here, right? The Giants drafted him, put a bad team around him, and expected him to perform very well. But that should not be, like, the end-all, be-all, right? Justin Herbert has been without his right guard and right tackle for most of the year. He finds a way to get it done. He had, like, 500 total yards on Sunday night versus the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers defense, right? Like, you can make excuses for any quarterback situation, basically, right? There's only a couple guys that haven't made. You know, Tom Brady could be one of them, Matthew Safford. Outside of those guys, pretty much every other quarterback this year has had some situation going on where it's not that great. You know, even Josh Allen's offensive line is not that great in Buffalo. I mean, it's better than ours, but it ain't that great either. So, you can poke holes in every other quarterback situation, but those guys get it done. Why doesn't our quarterback get it done? Why do we sit here today, like, you know, 10 games in for Daniel Jones? Why do, Why does he have nine passing touchdowns and seven interceptions? And probably a few fumbles on top of that. Like, it's just not good enough. It's really not. Like, I can't sit here and be like, oh, I feel great about Daniel Jones right now. Because I don't. I feel terrible about him. Like, I don't think this guy is all that great. And... It's not helping that you put a you know brain-dead offensive coordinator next to him and an offensive line that's probably one of the bottom five in football. It doesn't help. But is Daniel Jones himself doing anything to elevate the guys around him? I don't see it. And I know for some reason people will hate when I say that, but I'm sorry to be real about it. I don't think he's that great, all right? like To me, Daniel Jones has always been average. That's the way he is. And, you know... Tonight wasn't even average. He, he looked terrible. Like, the interceptions he threw tonight were embarrassing. The one that he threw, the first one, was one of the worst picks I've seen. It's it's up there with the Carson Wentz throw with his left hand this year at the one-yard line. It was up there with that. If you guys saw that play, that was a bad interception. This one was up there. He literally tried throwing to, like, his center, it looked like. And then he got intercepted by a defensive tackle. And then the second one where, you know, he was throwing to a guy on a curl, but the underneath route hit the guy, I think, right in the shoulder or in the head, and it bounced off of him for an interception. You can't do that either. Like, I, I want to sit here and be fair to Daniel Jones. I understand it. I, I know the situation's not great. There's going to be a guy or two in the comments that's like, you're an idiot. Daniel Jones can't succeed here. I, blah, blah, blah. I, I get all that. Trust me. 
But I also, I, I pay very close attention to the rest of the NFL. There are other quarterbacks that succeed when other crap goes badly around them, all right? And this is not a guy that does that. Daniel Jones has to be coddled. He has to have a good situation. I know everyone's going to be like, oh, Dak Prescott went to Kansas City and got, you know, effed up by them. Yeah, okay. Well, Dak Prescott's had a track record for being a great, not great, but a really good quarterback for four years. All right, like, okay, so what? His receivers on the fly got hurt, right? CeeDee Lamb got a concussion. Amari Cooper's not vaccinated. He's out, right? I mean, that's that's basically what happened, right? So now he's he's throwing to guys who can't catch the damn ball. The offensive line had an off game. Okay, it's one game. It's one game, guys. This is Daniel Jones now for two years. That's one game for Dak Prescott, almost two years for Daniel Jones. What should we pay more attention to? The one game or the two years? Right? Ask yourself. So I'm really I'm tired of the excuses. I made a tweet about it. Like there's so many things that Daniel Jones does individually that piss me off. And it's not even like just the offensive line's fault. All right, what about the horrible decision making? The interceptions today. Is that the offensive line's fault? Is that the weapons' fault? No, it's Daniel Jones's fault. His bad footwork. Whose fault is that? All right, he's just jittery back there. You guys can see it. It's just he's legs are always moving doesn't look natural at least Eli Manning looked very calm all the time even though he had a bad offensive line and I know we should not compare everyone to Eli Manning but still Eli Manning was always calm in the pocket despite having you know a bad offensive line in front of him for most of it not most of his career but the end of his career missing the open receivers when Kenny Galladay is sitting there open for a touchdown and you don't see him whose fault is that it ain't Jason Garrett's fault you know Will Hernandez is not going to take the ball from you and throw it for you you got to find it yourself Daniel all right, when Daniel Jones is throwing the ball on the ground on the fourth down play, whatever the hell it was, whose fault is that? Like, it's just the stuff he does, too, that's not good. When, when does Daniel Jones ever extend the play and have a big gain? How many times do you see Daniel Jones roll out to his right, make a big throw, 25, 30 yards downfield, down the sideline, you know, like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen do routinely every week? How often do you see that? Like, I, it's very rare. I get excited when I see it because it never happens. Can he maneuver the pocket? Did you guys see the way Tom Brady maneuvers the pocket tonight? It's incredible. And I'm not saying he has to be Tom Brady, but Daniel Jones, when he's back there, is a deer in headlights. Every, every time there's pressure, it's like, oh, he's dead. He's done. That's it. He's getting sacked. I feel like he's gotten better at it, but tonight was a big step back in the wrong direction. So I wasn't happy about that. His fumbling issues. Like the fumbling issues have been a thing forever, all right, since his rookie year. Unbelievable, unbelievable amount of uh, fumbles. That's probably not getting fixed. It's been better, but it's not getting fixed. And horrendous in the red zone. I went over Daniel Jones' touchdown totals before. The Giants offensively are the worst team in the red zone, I believe, and that's he's part of the problem. All right, Jason Garrett running curls in the end zone doesn't help. I get it. But, like, it's not all his fault. Like, Daniel Jones at some point has to be like, all right, I need to do some stuff myself, all right? Like, not every situation is going to be perfect. There's, like, a handful of quarterbacks in the NFL that have a perfect situation. All right, we're talking about, like, who? Baker Mayfield, who's wide receiver one to Jarvis Landry now. That's not, like, the best situation in the world. We're talking about Dak Prescott, okay? We're talking about Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady. Who else? Like, who else has a perfect situation? I told you guys about Aaron Rodgers. His offensive lineman, left tackle, Bakhtiari, all pro players, been out. Their right tackle now, who was the left tackle, Elton Jenkins, towards ACL, he's out. All right, like it's not like Aaron Rodgers has a perfect situation. I went over Josh Allen. Josh Allen's offensive line is not graded out that well this year. It's not that great. Um, who else? Justin Herbert has not had the right side of his offensive line for most of the year. They're just throwing in like these backup guys and they're making it work. 
That's what I mean. Every team runs into problems. Every team runs into injuries. And the Giants just want to keep making excuse after excuse. Well, this is why Daniel Jones is not good. Oh, that's why Daniel Jones is not good. When does Daniel Jones overcome a bad situation? Is it ever going to happen? Probably not. That's what annoys me. All right? Like, there's, there's quarterbacks put in bad situations all the time, and they find a way to overcome these things. Russell Wilson, for half a decade, had one of the worst offensive lines in football, and he was putting up MVP caliber numbers. Deshaun Watson, despite going 4-12 and last year, put up like 37 touchdowns and what, like 8 interceptions or whatever the hell his numbers were? It was crazy. Like, it, like, having a bad offensive line and, you know, not the best play caller is not the only excuse of why you should not be like a competent NFL quarterback. Like, if you really need everything perfect around Daniel Jones, what does that tell you about Daniel Jones? If you're still wondering who Daniel Jones is halfway through year three, what does that tell you about Daniel Jones? It's probably not a good thing. Right, I said this before, how many quarterbacks in the NFL have we seen that went into year four, that were first-round picks, that stayed with their same team, that really turned things around in year four? There's, like, not many. Like, I know I know the Bears stuck with Mitch Trubisky in year four because they weren't sure. Well, look how that turned out. Mitch Trubisky is now a backup for the Buffalo Bills, right? It was a wasted season for the Bears. And, you know, people are going to ask you, well, well, Mike, what would you do to make the quarterback situation better? I don't know if this would make it better, but at least like bring in a veteran and try to build the rest of the team around. Like, you know what I mean? Like, don't take a quarterback in this draft. Just don't force a pick, right? That's a bad idea. Don't force a quarterback pick. But there's a world where the Giants can sign a Jimmy Garoppolo, a Tyrod Taylor, a Teddy Bridgewater, bring that guy in for a year, right? Build the team around them. And then next year, they can trade up for a quarterback or make a big trade for an established quarterback like a Watson or a Wilson, whoever. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay to have a bridge quarterback. The Giants don't think about that very often. Denver did it with uh, Teddy Bridgewater, right, who I just mentioned. Denver traded for Teddy Bridgewater, gave him like a, what, a fourth or fifth round pick for him. And now the Denver Broncos are in prime position to trade for an established quarterback. If Aaron Rodgers wants out or if Deshaun Watson comes out clean, the Denver Broncos are in a perfect situation to trade up or trade for one of those guys, right? Like, it's not a bad idea to do that. I'm not saying you have to force a quarterback pick in the first round. That's a bad idea. I know this quarterback class is not really thought of too highly right now, but there's still, like, you're still allowed to build, you're still allowed to have a bridge quarterback. You can kind of take a year off. Like, what if we lived in this other, um, what's it called, parallel universe where the Giants, instead of forcing the pick with Daniel Jones, signed Teddy Bridgewater for one year. And Teddy Bridgewater was the Giants starting quarterback in 2019. And let's say the Giants had a similar outcome of going like 4-12 or 5-11. and And then the next year, Justin Herbert's in the draft and you have a high pick. You could have had Justin Herbert because you went with the bridge quarterback strategy and didn't lock yourself into Daniel Jones for a rookie contract, right? Like that, those things are possible. I always believe the Giants kind of forced a Daniel Jones pick. They went into that offseason saying, all right, we need a quarterback. We can't mess around anymore. We have to show these fans we're going to rebuild for real. And Kyler Murray was the cream of the crop. He was the number one guy by far. You know, some people like Haskins. Some people like Drew Locke. Some people like Daniel Jones. But none of those guys were like surefire, like, oh, this guy is a top five talent in the draft type guy. So to me, that was kind of a force, especially at six. Like some people had Daniel Jones as like a second round prospect and they took him at six, right? So that's why the fan base was just not happy with the pick. So to me, it's, it always felt forced and we kind of forced ourselves to like Daniel Jones. And oftentimes your gut instinct is, is what's right, right? We've, we've done that before. I've taken a lot of multiple choice tests back in, uh, in grade school. There's a lot of times where I would just circle and see and then I'd go, ah, no, that's not it. And then I would go for A. 
and then I would get my test back and it was actually C. Like there's a lot of times in life where the first thing you think of is like, oh, that's it. So when we all think as fans, like, oh, Daniel Jones is a bad pick, that was probably the right answer, right? We can try and sugarcoat it and put a all pro caliber team around Daniel Jones and try to make him look good and look kind of good and make him in the Ryan Tannehill or Baker Mayfield last year, right? But like, where's that getting you? Is Ryan Tannehill winning a Super Bowl? Is Baker Mayfield winning a Super Bowl? I don't think so. Like that, like when I'm rooting for teams, I'm rooting for championships. I don't care. Like I care about making the playoffs, but I don't want the playoffs to be my ceiling. If the playoffs are my ceiling, it's just you're setting yourself up for disappointment. So if you want to build, if you want to set your team, set your team up for uh, sustained success and a Super Bowl ceiling, that's what you want as a fan. You don't want a playoff ceiling. You don't want to be the Titans. You don't want to be the the Browns, right? The Browns are, you know, they're they're a really good quarterback away from being great. But that's what I mean. Baker Mayfield could be like the Daniel Jones in this situation. So. That's pretty much it for the Daniel Jones rant. He's got to be better, and I'm tired of the excuses. That's it. I'm tired of the excuses. There's examples everywhere, and I'm tired of the excuses. Um, Saquon came back. Didn't look great. He um, had six receptions for 31 yards, but the rushing wasn't that great. He was six for 25. He had one kind of nice run at the end for 11 yards. Kind of helped his day. Uh, defensively, no pressure. Uh, Julian Love got murdered by Rob Gronkowski all game. Um you know, Dory Jackson had the interception. That was cool, but that was about it. There's really nothing. The pass rush was not really worth giving a damn about. The run stopping wasn't too, too bad. I want to see what they ran for in this game. So Leonard Fournette had 10 for 35, and Ronald Jones had 8 for 33. It wasn't terrible. I mean, the Giants had some nice run stops. Even Danny Shelton actually had a decent game I saw. That was that was pretty surprising. So, um but yeah, I mean, for the most part, the defense was very disappointing in Tampa, just had their way with them the entire game. And, you know, if it was, if it honestly, if it wasn't for that fluke interception that hit Mike Evans' chest, the final score could have been like 37-3. It could have been a lot worse than 30-10. So I guess we kind of lucked out there. So, I mean, there was also a play in this game where Aziz Ojalari got held by Tristan Wirfs and it, it wiped away like a big game by Chris Godwin. He got down to the one-yard line. That would have made it 24-10 at halftime. So the Giants kind of got lucky with some of the penalties and whatnot this game and the interception. So um, the score could have been a lot worse. And do I think Jason Garrett's fired tomorrow? I mean, I don't think so on a short week. I don't see that happening, but I hope I'm wrong. I, I do want to see it happen. So I don't know. We'll find out. <clears throat> they play the Eagles next week. And uh, as I said, if they lose next week, my any playoff hopes I have will be dead. And the season will be over, in my opinion. So uh, for most of the season's probably over anyway, because three and seven is very tough to come back from. And the Giants have to pretty much go like six and one the rest of the way to actually have a chance to get to nine wins. So it's going to be tough. But anyway, that'll do it. Um, hopefully you guys didn't hate this video too much. I'm sorry to kind of like speak my mind about Daniel Jones, but I just listen, I had to say it. <laughs> I just, it doesn't really make sense for me to bottle it in. Like part of the reason I do these videos is like a therapy session for myself. So I need to kind of speak out how I feel, and that's how I feel about a quarterback right now. He's got to be better. I don't care about the situation anymore. I've heard the excuse for 10 years about the offensive line. I don't give a damn. All right, do better. All right, make some plays on your own. You know, if you guys are not, if you guys don't believe me, go watch highlights of other quarterbacks. Go, go, go pull up Josh Allen highlights. Go pull up Justin Herbert highlights. Go watch those guys for 10 minutes. You'll be like, oh, damn, like, these guys are making plays without the offensive line blocking. These guys are making plays downfield. Like the, the, these guys are doing awesome things. Like I feel like a lot of Giants fans, they just have like those blinders on. They, they only watch the Giants. They, they don't care what the other teams are doing. But 
you sometimes got to compare your team to the other teams to realize the crap your team is putting out and it ain't good so that'll do it hopefully you guys enjoyed um subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already mtn giants podcast would appreciate that um and i'll talk to you guys next time